from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. Carm, nice to meet you. Thanks for being on the RiderFlex podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me and great to be here. Tell us about yourself a little bit before we get into all the business stuff. Like, give, oh. us, give, us, give us some background, you know, family, parents, where you grew up, you know, some early stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, I'll try to give you the highlight tour. So I grew right. up in, in in Western Massachusetts in a very small town called Hardwick, Mass. Okay. And, uh, you know, I had, had an interesting childhood. The first thing is my parents bought a house that was built in 1735. It was a colonial salt box. So I lived in a very old house growing up. <laughs> wow. And uh, that taught me a lot about history. And it had, you know, seven fireplaces. And uh, it was a really kind of adventure because it was always under repair, essentially. Um, but but cool. just, you know, I'm a small town country boy uh, at the at the end of the day in so many ways. Uh, a lot of a lot of what I do is somewhat driven by my childhood. I actually lost both my parents by the time I was 15, both the cancer. Oh, oh my God. Oh, that, oh, that's terrible. Wow. Within within like a year or two or like it was the same time frame? Uh, about seven, seven years apart. Um, wow. Lost my dad first and then my mom. And, you know, it 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 uh, we can talk a little bit about how that shapes you. Right. And with those types of fundamental experiences, especially mm-hmm. losing both your your parents and it, it drives a lot of what makes me an entrepreneur and makes me want to kind of make a difference in the world and in people's lives. Um, any and siblings? Any siblings I have two. Okay. Yeah, I'm the, young, I'm the youngest. So I have two older siblings who are wonderful and we're incredibly close, obviously, because of what we went through as kids. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Um, and that happened when you were 15. Where did you finish? Who'd you live with when you were finishing high school? Yeah, well, we, I had a very close uh, family friend who showed up and um, uh, who was kind of a, a close sort of n- not relative, but just sort of family friend um, who showed up and she was 28. And um, without kind of a blink of an eye, she said, I'll, I'll help Carm get through high school. Wow. And so I was so lucky she moved in with us, uh, helped my, my mom through sort of her end of life stuff. Uh, and then stayed and, you know, through high school, through college. And, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for her sacrifice to kind of be there for me. And, and she's kind of a second mom, you could argue that, but, but she was only 12 years older than me. (laughs) And so, uh, at the time. And so, um, you know, just very, very different, um, you know, childhood for me growing up. And, and that really, I got really interested sort of after my parents' death and into, you know, doing, um, uh, at that time, this is the late nineties. So, you know, the internet computers was just really starting to take off personal computers. And, you know, I just fell in love with technology and I think it was sort of two things. I think one, it was an escape for me, you know, getting into technology and coding and, um, you know, st- started a business uh, uh, with a very old friend of mine in, in web hosting in the late 90s. And then, you know, the rest is kind of history <laughs> uh, and, and, and had a passion just to try to realizing that like technology can really make an incredible difference in the world. And did, that really drove me um, into what I do now. Did you know that you wanted to, well, you were an early entrepreneur. I mean, you were, you were kind of like, hey, I'm going to figure out a business early on. Did you, did, did what happened with your parents, did, did that tell you, I want to be an entrepreneur in the healthcare space? I want to be able to, I want to create something that, 
you know, ties back to health. Was that the plan or it just kind of went that way? Well, you know, I didn't start Arcs Review until my early 30s. Um, you know, I started it when I was about 31, 32. And, um, you know, what, what led up to it was I spent my, you know, sort of 20s doing a lot of sort of working in all sorts of different, you know, segments of technology. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I kind of hit 30 and I was kind of like starting to think more about getting a little bit more purpose driven, right? Okay. Um, and, and mission driven. And, and that's really um, where that, that came from. I kind of had measured the effort I put in in my 20s, which was a huge amount of effort. And I hadn't really, I didn't feel successful. And I think okay. a lot of people go through this. I mean, maybe I had a midlife crisis about a decade earlier. Uh, and I, you know, I had been working on a lot of things across a whole bunch of segments of technology. I mean, I did, you know, web to print um, company. I did voice XML technology. I did high-end audio. I did, um, you know, recruiting and um, job seeking stuff. And, you know, it was great lessons in learn learning about how to great develop great products, how to get teams together, how to, um, you know, do startups really, um, and even, even some fundraising in there. But I really got to RX Review out of out of a question of purpose and mission, and mm. I didn't want to set, spend the rest of my career, you know, like sort of the the rule of looking back when you're 80, and you know, feeling like, hey, I spent my time on the right things, and I'm really proud of of the the work. And I think for me, it was more about finding a calling, um, and being more connected to a calling than a career. And I think that's a lot of, of things people kind of miss out on, right? Uh, so many of us are just living a career opposed to a calling. And I think that's, that's an incredibly important thing. And in that recognition kind of led me to put all my focus into RX Review. And we can talk about the founding story of, the, of RX Review and how it came together. But that, that's really what shifted for me in my late 30s. And, and then it really did connect back to my childhood and going through those healthcare experiences with my parents and knowing um, you know, eight years ago, we were just starting to get this kick up in healthcare and healthcare IT of sort of bringing technology more thoughtfully into healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that's really um, where it all came together for me. And, you know, eight years later, I haven't done anything else except this, this one thing um, with pretty, pretty heavy, relentless focus on, on trying to change healthcare in a pretty dramatic way. Before we get into RX review and the details there, um, how about your personal life a little bit more? Like, how did you end up in, in Denver? How did you, uh, are you married with kids, single? I mean, give us a little more uh, about you there personally before we get into RX Review, if you don't mind, just kind of who you are there. Yeah, so um, I'm actually divorced and, and um, you know, I, I would, I'd put a lot of weight on the challenges of this job of, mm -hmm. of a CEO and, and the, the, a lot of people sort of call it the lonely Island. Um, really you know, it, 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 it tests you in really unique ways. Um, especially when you go through, um, some of the things we had to go through at Arcs Review and, and, you know, sadly things didn't, didn't work out with my ex-wife, but, you know, did get two amazing kids, um, out of it, a four and six year old and kind of, was, you know, in Boston, I lived in South Carolina for a while, my ex is actually a doc, and she was going through residency there. And that taught me a lot about healthcare. And that was, again, a, a lesson along the way to see how messed up it was, and her going to residency and how challenging that work was for her. And then Denver, I've got fam some family here, I've got relatives, 
Um, and it's just an amazing place. I mean, you know, I sit and look at the mountains every day and I'm, I'm a big sort of outdoors guy. So skiing, hiking, uh, running, biking, you know, you name it, I'm, I'm, I'm out there. I love the outdoors. And so Denver was just a great place. And, you know, I think I showed up at a very um, interesting time in Denver. You know, the tech community was emerging, kind of coming into its own. And um, uh, it was a great time to be here, you know, kind of venture dollars were starting to show up. And um, it was a, it was a really special time uh, in in Denver to show up here, you know, eight years ago now. Um, and I've really enjoyed the, the time here and the people and, and everything. So it's, it's fun. And COVID's really accelerated a lot of stuff here. There's been a lot of inbound people from the, the coast and a lot of the big cities to Denver just because it's lower cost of living and great, great quality of life. So it's been interesting to see through the pandemic how things have changed. Now, you moved to Denver for family and then got connected with RX Review or you moved for RX Review? No, just got here. Didn't have a didn't have a uh, a gig actually. Gig. Uh, m- with my my ex, we actually spent six months traveling around the world um, prior to to landing here because we were we had both kind of come out of some career, you know. She had finished residency, and I I was looking for something, and um, it was interesting because we we went to thirteen different cu- countries, and we kind of really explored over six months the world. Um, well, hold on. Say. Well, hold on. Now, did you do this trip when you were thinking you already decided you guys are getting, getting divorced? But let's do this trip. For, do <laughs> well, this trip first. This or... was <laughs> this was early, early on in okay. in after getting getting married, and you know you go through a lot of changes when um, with a career with our careers and and kids okay. and all those things. But okay. you know we we both we both had a love of traveling, and it was it was such an eye opening experience for me when you. You know, it's one thing when you go for a week or two, but when you stack countries against each other mm. in uh, in a six month period and really go from places like, you know, New Zealand to Thailand to um, mm-hmm. e- Egypt <laughs> to Greece um, and, and sort of see the cultures and see how the world works, um, it really changes your worldview and, and what's possible. Um, and that gave me a lot of time to reflect. I mean, I think ARC's review in ways kind of that was another learning on the way of sort of, I took this big stop. I just kind of stopped mm-hmm. and I looked at, I looked at my, my early years and my twenties and, you know, was just um, approach, you know, j- just over 30 at that time and really s- sort of resetting my career. And then I moved here to Denver, uh, met Dr. Kevin O'Brien, who was kind of the, the, the doc who originally, uh, and, and is the co-founder of Arx Review, he kind of, he came up with this idea. Um, and it's an interesting story. He, he actually um, was uh, visiting his mother one weekend and her name was Lucy. And uh, he was looking at, he's a pulmonologist um, and was looking at her medications and she was spending a lot of money um, on a monthly basis. She had about seven different meds she was taking. Mm. And he sat down and he did some, you know, looking at alternatives and did some research and he kind of reconfigured her medications and saved her about $400 a month. And, um, you know, she's on, she's on a fixed income and, and he sort of said, wow, you know, if, if I can just do this by making some adjustments, like there's gotta be a lot of other, you know, um, people have to have this challenge. And, and so he, uh, originally started, uh, as a research project and he, actually looked at about 110 different conditions and cataloged them into a book ranking every drug by cost and kind of quality. 
Um, and it was an amazing piece of work. And so I met him over breakfast um, and he How'd shows you, up. At, how, were you, how were you connected to him? You were just like in, in circles of people, you know, or. Yeah. Well, interesting enough, my, my ex actually interviewed at his practice and they, they, you know, he, he asked what I did and, you know, she explained that I was a startup entrepreneur and looking for a thing. And he said, Hey, I've got this idea. I've been working on it for a couple of years. He had been working on it for perfect. about three, three years, perfect, perfect, perfect. You know, three years of work into, and, you know, I opened up this book and it was just kind of like, oh my gosh, um, you know, what an amazing, it was really an amazing piece of work. You know, you could mm. see the effort, um, you know, into sort of cataloging all these drugs and, and by cost and condition. And um, it was amazing. And, and he was, you know, as, a, as an academic doctor, he was like, well, I'm going to publish this as a reference book. Okay. And I, you know, on Amazon or something. And I, I, I sort of like, he was like, no way, this is a technology, you know, this is a platform mm. um, because the prices are dynamic, conditions change, there's new drugs on the market, like it's got to be constantly updated. And that really kicked off the company. I think what's so interesting is, you know, I knew nothing about healthcare. I mean, I was completely blind, but I knew, you know, the fundamentals that both, you know, patients and doctors had to have a really hard time making these decisions. Mm. Um, you know, it's such a complex thing of just in a single condition, you can have, you know, anywhere from a few to maybe even a hundred different drug options with all different costs, depending on your insurance and, you know, which drug is best, which is going to have the best outcome for you. It's an incredibly dis tough decision. Um, and most doctors just go to what they know. And so the thesis was always right that we've got to, you know, get transparency to the market, help doctors make better decisions um, around, around drugs. And now we're actually doing a lot more than drugs, but that was, that was such a clear thesis to me. And, and I think that thesis has come true. I didn't know it would take me, you know, <laughs> years of grinding it out and, and a lot of tough years, you know, where we, um, you know, we ran the company for about two years on about 60 days of cash. Um, I hear you, bro. And, I mean, yeah. you know, th those experiences give you just an incredible amount of wherewithal to, to, to fight the good fight, but teach you a lot about um, how to build value and how to build teams. And uh, it's such a classic story of those moments forced us to focus in ways when your, your life is on the line and the company's on the line, <laughs> you have this incredible focus. And, and, you know, even though we had a very small team in those years, um, it let us experiment and try things and do the, you know, do the impossible to try to figure out how to get this data, you know, and information to the point of care to help doctors make this better decisions and then build, build business models around it. So th those are the, the early days. I don't know if you want to have any specific questions around yeah, that. Yeah, I got a ton of questions. Um, <laughs> the, fir the first one is, you know, I've always wondered when I'm visiting my little family doctor, you know, uh, Dr. K, I call him. I'm always just kind of wondering like, okay, how did you just pick that medicine? How did you decide that's the pill I need? Like, you know, and then the cynical part of me comes out. I'm like, is that because that sales rep was like pushing you to, you know, do that certain medication or do you just not know any others or, or are you just guessing and I'm going to take this for two weeks and you're going to call me and see if it works. And if it doesn't, you're going to give me something else. And what the pricing and the generic versus non-generic, like I always just, in the background, kind of wondered, like, all right, how did we get here? Like, how did you decide that one? Um, yeah. And until I until I listened to some of your, uh, you know, I found you on YouTube and I looked up the company and I and I it, I had this, you know, revelation that like, wait a minute. So when the doctor 
picks a medication, he's not looking at a list of the of all of them with the prices that might hit me. Like I just assumed they were. Uh, so that was I was really surprised by that. So so let's do this. Why don't you give me the elevator pitch for first? Let me hear the elevator pitch today of exactly kind of how it works. And then I'm going to double back and ask you some more questions. So for all the listeners, just so they know exactly what we're talking about, it is RX review, RX review and review is R E V U. So rxreview.com. Um, but give us the elevator pitch real quick, Carm, as it stands today. Yeah. So the core business today is really about um, helping doctors make better decisions around uh, a prescription they're prescribing a patient. And what we okay. do is we bring real-time individual patient cost of what you're going to pay for that drug uh, on your insurance to that point of decision-making. So, in, And they the didn't know that before? I just can't, I can't, let me just, like, they didn't know, all, I, I, I'm shocked by that. I'm shocked by that. Sorry. You were given a yeah. nice overview, and I just interrupted you. Uh, I'm shocked. Well, it's that. it's it's not uncommon, it, you know. I I you know personally, um, a lot of people still come to me and actually ask that question. Like this hasn't been done. You know, it's 2021, and we're oh, still okay. kind of, um, wow. you know, figuring these things out in healthcare. Okay. You know, it is a very complex problem because there's a lot of insurance companies. Um, there's okay. a lot of, you know, different negotiated rates for your your drugs at specific pharmacies, you know, between Walgreens and CVS and Walmart and all the, okay. you know, all the options you have. And so it's very hard to actually sort of figure out, you know, what what's your what's your copay going to be? What is going to be the patient cost for a drug? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way, you know, doctors can kind of retain uh, this level of, of complexity in their head. Gotcha. And so you know, what, what we do is we aggregate that data. We can do pricing now for about 150 million Americans um, and wow. growing. Um, okay. And so we can say for, for any of those patients, if you're, you know, on a specific health insurance plan, um, here's what the cost is. Um, here's, here's where the drug is covered at these pharmacies. Here's maybe a low, some lower cost options. And we show all that information to the doctor in real time, right as they're making the decisions. So they're, you know, if they're picking, uh, you know, any drug, Humira is a lot of drug people, uh, drug people know, it'll say, Hey, here's what it costs. Here's maybe a therapeutic alternative. That'll be less expensive. Here's the best pharmacy to go get it fulfilled at. Um, and, um, you know, when those, you know, our, our data is showing us, we save patients about $260, um, if there is a lower cost option available and, and if that doctor takes that option. So is it's he, really, he, are they looking at like a tablet and there's the list is on this tablet and then that, that, so, so whatever health insurance I have affects it, wherever I live affects it, whatever pharmacy I'm using affects it. Correct. Is he like looking at a list and he's like, okay, Steve, <laughs> right here, here's choice A, B, C, D, and E based on your insurance and the pills and where you're going to go, this is what it's going to cost you. And then is this a team effort where I can like pick, like, I want that one. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is in, in. Uh, very much so. The, wow. the focus today is inside the electronic health record. And that's probably what makes us really unique. Okay. Is that, you know, the electronic health record, and you might have heard of companies like Epic and Cerner and Athena, those are our big partners that, that cover most of the ambulatory um, providers in the US today. But that doctor, you know, they, they'll go through and they'll do a bunch of orders, you know, they may have labs or imaging or, you know, drugs. So they're doing a bunch of orders. And when they do that medication order for you, that's Mm -hmm. when we price the drug in real time inside the EHR. So it's part of their workflow. They don't have to go to a portal or a tablet. It's just part of their normal workflow. And that's what, Mm -hmm. you know, we've 
been able to scale up dramatically because we've embedded ourselves in those workflow. You know, we, we touch about 200,000 doctors today um, with this data um, on an annualized basis. And so, you know, our network's grown dramatically in the last two years and we've, we've scaled up very fast to bring this, this, you know, essential data to providers that they don't have today to help them make better decisions. But it's really about, and this is something we worked very hard in the early days and those tough years of figuring out out how to be point at the point of care, how important it is to be in those workflows, because otherwise the providers just don't have time. You know, they're only spending seven to 10 minutes with you. They're not going to take the time to go out to a portal, look up your insurance, you know, do all this stuff. They just want to know that price in real time when they're picking the drug so they can understand what, what the cost is going to be. So is this a SaaS model where this is a plug-in, like an add-on, so to speak, where you're like, Hey, our technology just jumps on the back of whatever you're currently using or, or walk me through that. Yeah. So the, the model today is that we either um, typically get, get paid actually from the insurance companies because the insurance okay. companies are the ones that want to lower the cost of drugs. And so we get paid by them typically on like a per provider or per health system basis uh, to, to bringing this data to the point of care. Um, and so, you know, the more doctors we get on the network, the more money we make from in- insurance companies. And the great thing about this model is we don't charge doctors. Doctors don't pay for this. It's free to them. Um, it's just part of their, their workflow. And they're getting a huge amount of benefit because they get less pharmacy callbacks. They don't have to do, uh, you know, prior authorizations if they can avoid them. Um, there's a lot of administrative stuff we can avoid by giving this data to them in real time at, at the point of decision. Is this, is this, um, do they have to log into something else if they're looking at their little tablet or whatever they're using? Cause I know my doctor always brings in like his little laptop or tablet or whatever. Yeah. Uh, is your, te- does your technology jump on the back of the insurance platform they're using and then, for, or, or, or are they using, or is that particular clinic using a certain, I mean, how do you tie all that technology together? I, Yeah. Well, every doctor now uses uh, an electronic health record. And so typically your doctor is walking in and they're looking at that electronic health record. And we're, um, you can actually think of us as data really um, under, you know, we're connected as a data solution inside that electronic health record. So, you know, he'll open your record, he'll put in notes, he'll do orders. As he's doing that, we're sitting there waiting for him to pick a med. And then the EHR says to us, Hey, can you go price this, this drug for Steve? Um, he's, you know, he's on Humana or, or another one of our payer partners, and we'll go ahead and price that drug in real time. And then the provider can see that right in their workflow. And so they finish up their notes, they sign the, they sign the orders. Um, and you know, it goes and, and routes out to, you know, your pharmacy to get fulfilled, depending on, you know, what choices they made of, of what's best for you as a patient. So, um, that that's really how it all comes together. Um, and again, it's really complex. You know, we, we have to I aggregate all so. this data from yep. insurance companies and yep. then, yep bring it down into inside these workflows inside the electronic health record. Um, and, and really, you know, that's the only way we really think doctors are going to engage with this data. Um, otherwise, you know, it's, it's not, it's not worth their time and they don't really have the time, frankly, um, to, to, to do this um, outside of their, their native workflow. So that's why yeah. it's so important. We live inside the electronic health records. I've, I've interviewed several uh, founders and CEOs for tech companies that tie to healthcare. And they all say the same thing. Like if you're going to give something to a doctor, it better be super fast, super easy to use and super convenient while they're standing there with patient or else they're not going to want to use it. I've heard that a bunch. (laughs) Um, So is my doctor going to look at me once he starts using this and go, 
oh my God, I've been giving Steve this one pill for two years. And if I would have given him pill B, he would have saved like a thousand dollars. And I feel super guilty now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, when, you know, on average, the average amount of savings we, we get to the patient is about $260 oh, wow. um, per month. Wow. Uh, okay. And so, you know, it's, it's significant dollars uh, we're talking oh. about here in terms of savings. Um, and again, you know, it's just because the market is opaque, it's hard to understand, you know, what the right alternative may be. Um, mm -hmm. And the other thing we tend to see too, is a lot of the times, you know, your insurance company um, doesn't cover a particular drug. And so you'll have to, if, you, right. if your doctor picks that drug that's not covered by your insurance, you're paying full cash rate yeah. for that drug, right? You get right, no benefit right. from your insurance. And so a lot of the times it is switching from that not covered to covered drug. And so instead of, you know, paying hundreds or thousands of dollars for the full cost of the drug, you're just paying a copay, right? A 20 or, you know, $30 copay and your insurance covers the rest. So there's lots and lots of ways to save, um, you know, on your prescriptions. It's just really, it's such a complex thing to sort out. And, and we really have a fundamental belief that it shouldn't be, you know, we do this bad thing where we rely on our doctor to kind of be superhuman, right? And, right. and, 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 and really have all these facts and information in their head. It's, it's really a computational problem. It's, it's a computer problem. It's not a human problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of this, we did an early data study and we looked at sort of a high, you know, hypertensive, high cholesterol type two diabetic patient. If you, which is a very common patient, there's a lot of those type, you know, maybe one of, one of every, uh, five patients is like that. A provider, if they wanted to pick a single drug for each one of those conditions to treat the patient, they're sitting in front of about 1.2 trillion drug options. <laughs> you know, combinatorial, right? And and so that's just a really good fundamental example of why we've got to have really smart technology around doctors to help them make these informed decision making. Yeah. Yeah, um, great, and great and point. and that's the purpose of our company, right? Is to make you know, the doctor's really good at diagnosis. They can say, okay, you have hypertension. We know that. But then to pick the right treatment, that's a very complex, you know, the clinical efficacy, the cost, what's the right pharmacy, you know, uh, is it covered? Is it not, you know, all these things really should not be a burden on the provider. We should have really smart technology living by the provider that's rationally, rationalizing all this stuff. And the way we kind of describe it internally is informed autonomy. What we want to give the provider is this sort of you know, narrow set of options, right? Um, but let them be the, you know, sort of final decision maker, okay. but narrow it down from a few trillion down to a few options that really rationally make sense for right. you as a patient. Right. right. So the insurance companies are your customer. Blue Cross, yeah. Blue Cross, Blue Shield, that's your customer. Yep. Yep. We work with a lot of the big blues, um, you know, United Healthcare, Humana, um, Cigna, you know, you, you, all the big names you, you know, why would they, interest. why would they push back? I mean, if they're going to save money, if, if their company is more profitable by using your technology, why would they say no? Um, well, I, they don't, I mean, that's the good news. You know, we've, okay. we, when we first started, there was a lot of more resistance and that's really changed. There was concerns, um, you know, from the PBMs of, you know, what happens if this data gets out into the wild and, you know, we're showing the cost and is that a competitive threat? Um, you know, a lot of PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers um, make money off volume rebates. And so, you know, they, they're, they were concerned about, Hey, is this going to affect our volume rebate um, contracts? But everything is kind of proved out in the right direction, which is, we're, we're helping insurance companies drive more volume on the right drugs in the right ways. 
um, and lowering cost and taking out administrative overhead, both for the payers, insurance companies, as well as the providers. So everything, you know, we've kind of had to had to prove out, but we were there in the early days when, you know, even running a single one of these transactions was very hard. Um, you know, we now do, you know, millions a month of these transactions across our network of, as I said, about 200,000 docs. So wow. the, the, the industry has really changed and adopted. And I think I'm, what I'm most excited about is now that we've proved out pharmacy at scale, what's starting to happen is many more payers now are saying, hey, we've got other types of information. We want to get to the point of care, mm. whether that's, um, which typically has been locked up in portals, right? You know, same thing where, okay. you know. You, you can go to your insurance portal and look up the cost of an MRI or a lab or imaging. Um, now our, our partners are starting to say, hey, can you do more than pharmacy? Can you do medical specialty drugs? Can you do um, uh, gaps in care? Can you price labs see, and imaging see, and radiology? So this whole world of sort of, you know, cost transparency and really helping doctors, you know, have informed um you know, data that's helping them make informed decisions is becoming a real reality. And, you know, you know, I'm really excited about where we're going as a company now, because it's, you know, I just thought we'd always do pharmacy. And now we're really expanding beyond that and, and doing, doing much, much more really driven by payers, seeing the success of what we've done in pharmacy of, of like, wow, if we give the data to providers, it turns out they, they make good, smart decisions. Right. Yeah. Excellent. How big is the company now? How many employees? Um, we're just about 60 now and growing pretty fast. Um, right. You know, we've raised about 30 million in venture. Um, I, saw we've done that. A I, saw, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. We've done a series A and series B. Congratulations. Um, thanks. It's been a, a lot of, uh, a lot of hard work to get to, to this scale. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're dancing around profitability, I would say. Um, but we've scaled okay. very, very fast. I mean, we, we were probably in 2019, we were only a few thousand doctors. And now, you know, fast forward to today, we're over 200,000. Um, that scaling that, that men, that many doctors that fast is very, very hard. Oh, I was uh, going to say that earlier. I almost stopped you in midstream. I, I just, everything you're telling me, yeah, the scaling up, the ability to managing the scale up factor has probably been one of your biggest challenges, I would think. I mean, because I mean, if you sign a huge client, I mean, boom, all of a sudden your business is, you know, up, it just went up another 40%. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we've done some pretty large, some of our EHR partners, um, we've done sort of big bangs where we've gone live um, with, with tens of thousands of doctors all at once. Um, yeah. And um, you know, that's incredible engineering work to make sure the transactions go through cleanly, make sure we can handle the, the load. Um, you know, we were, we, we had a day now two years ago where, you know, we literally were doing, you know, maybe a few transactions a minute all. And, and I think we went up to 250, 300 a minute <laughs> like that. And, you know, we, we pulled it off. Um, you know, we were, we were able to prepare for that and, and, um, you know, it's, it's an effort by a lot of dedicated people behind me who are much smarter than me uh, to figure out how to do this and scale up these type of systems. And it's been in, you know, um, it's been, you know, a classic kind of startup ride of, of um, having to kind of get all the right pieces together um, and, and scale up a business like that. And then, you know, we've had a really interesting year in healthcare uh, with the pandemic and um, how much, how much has changed um, in the last year, um, both good and bad. What do you enjoy the most? So you've been with it now. So you started with 
um, the co-founder. By the way, are they are you tagged a co-founder? Did did they let yeah. you put founder? Okay, okay. So you're, you're I'm, I, I consider myself co-founder. There's there's a a third guy who uh, was a longtime friend of mine. He's actually a guy named Dan Karen who um, uh, he he the three of us started the business. And Dan was you know my long-term friend and business partner I that I started my first company with when I was 15. I see. I see. So, okay. so I brought him in and, and we've had a long time business relation, right relationship. So he came in as sort of the technical, um, a lot of the technical know-how pieces and I was on the business okay. side and Kevin was on the medical side. So that was the start. Now, you know, Kevin's still, um, Dan's no longer involved, but you know, we were still really close friends. Um, and Kevin is, still involved, but the company is just very different now. It's, you know, six, 60 people and we're growing very fast and um, it's just a different animal. Uh, now. Plus you took on a, you took on a bunch of money. Are you still in control? I'm guessing the cap table looks a little different now than it did when you first started. Yeah. You know, dilution is, is part of the game. You know, you, you, you want to, the, the most important thing is to know how much your, uh, your shares, your individual shares are worth. That's, that's what you should really pay attention to. And um, uh you know, of course, I've taken dilution like any founder, but um, the whole idea is, you know, the, the most important thing is just continuing to build enterprise value. And that that's what I focus on. And um, I'm really happy with what we've done. And our investors are very happy. Um, you know, they're well, really pleased with the growth we've had. The first thing I thought when I saw how much money you had taken on, um, I thought, okay, well, he's taken on a bunch of cash, which means the voting... Uh, members of the board could probably kick him out if they weren't happy. I don't know what his ownership still is, but the fact that he's taken on this much cash and been there eight years is, and you're still the CEO is actually yeah. quite an accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's rare. I mean, it, I think this it is rare. It is rare. Yeah. So congrats. Let's just take a deep breath. Let's just take a deep <laughs> breath. I mean, that's a major deal. I mean, for anybody that's a founder, an entrepreneur, I mean, yeah, you take on $30 million, I think is what you said. I'm trying to remember what the number was. You take on 30 million in cash and you're there for eight years and you were a co-founder and you're still the CEO. Like that really says something. I mean, I really mean that congratulations because uh, you know, it means you're doing all the right things and they trust you. So congrats. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I think uh, I've had to grow up a lot. You know, I wasn't, <laughs> you know, I look, I look back at the guy who kind of was there in the early days and he doesn't right. really exist anymore. You know, I was a much more emotional, um, kind of ego driven um, individual and, and not really focused on what's best for the company and um, how to build enterprise value. And it takes a long time to learn the skills and capabilities. I have a phenomenal board that, that has been instrumental in, in helping me and the company get to where, where it is today. We have, you know, guys like Toby Cosgrove, who was the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic for 10 years, which is, you know, a 10 billion plus uh, annual revenue uh, health system. So, so when really, he talks, when he says something, you kind of, you might want to listen. Yeah. You might want to <laughs> listen. I mean, he's a real luminary in healthcare and an incredible guy. And I'm lucky to have people like that on the board. Um, and, and, um, people really supported me along, along the way. And so, um, you know, but, but you really get to, um, this place where, you know, you start to better understand how to build teams, how to think about building value, how to build product. Um, and it's really, you know, there's no shortcuts in this game, you know, that's especially in healthcare, um, 
And, you know, I think we've done a really good job. I don't think we've been overcapitalized like a lot of healthcare companies who've raised hundreds of millions of dollars and haven't shown a lot of value. I think we've been really slow and methodical in our approach and we've had a really sophisticated approach and it's worked. I think the big question for me now after eight years is, you know, I'm, I'm being challenged around this next turn. When you get to kind of 50 people, things really start to change, right? Um, I'm a big fan of Reed Hoffman's book, you know, Blitzscaling, which talks about going through these stages of, a, you know, you're kind of a family or a tribe, and then you're a, um, you know, you start to scale up into a little, a little community and then a city and then a, you know, nation. Um, and, and you go through these phases and, you know, I'm really starting to see it and, and having to change, right. You know, the, the hard part about being a CEO founder is that, you know, you have to scale with the company, right. There is, there is no choice. Um, and so you have to be highly adaptable and you have to learn really quick. Um, and, and it's been really fun for me to go through this transition. I have a great senior leadership team around me and, and just an incredible, you know, people that are as good or better than me. Um, in their roles and, and, you know, learning how to delegate and set a clear vision and set a clear strategy and let them execute and really empower them to do it, right? So yeah. many CEOs get caught up in their ego and wanting to own it and yes, want to yes, micromanage yes, and yes, yes, um, yes. you have to learn how to let go. And it's, and it's so, it sounds simple, right? And sort of these, you need these highly autonomous, dedicated teams that are focused on really problems and they have to have a long runway. You have to give them the time and space and you can't direct them. You know, you have to give them context, not control to kind of see the path forward um, and take ownership of that. And, and we're going through a lot of those transitions now as a company, um, but it's really exciting. I mean, you know, Great. just to have this opportunity and grow in this way as a CEO is so rare. You know, most, most CEOs never get to see this, right? Um, uh, I was looking at some st- so true. statistics the other day you know, only, only like five to 6% of companies return, you know, dollars to venture um, in, in a significant way. So it's, it's right. a one out of 20 shot, you know, that you have um, to really do something big and significant in terms of a venture back company. Um, and I think, I think we're, we're proving that out. So um, uh, it's, it's, it's really fun in that way right now. Wonderful experience for you too, over the eight years. I mean, you go from the little meeting with like two of your friends where you have this spreadsheet and you're like, okay, we have 60 days of cash left. Not sure if this is going to work, but hopefully, uh, hopefully it does. You know, you're still in business after two months. You're like, okay, cool. We got some cash left. Uh, Let's keep going. And you go all the way from that kind of atmosphere to, you know, 50, 60 employees raising cash PE and VC. I think you said, by the way, I'm going to guess your revenue. I know you're still a private company, so I don't know how much you can share, but I'm going to guess your revenue is still under 100 million, probably. Yeah, we're still under 100 million. Yeah, but growing really quickly, and you're experiencing all that as a as a CEO, a, much of it for the first time. Um, not to mention, by the way, asking VC, asking rich people to write you checks, which is also not an easy job. <laughs> yeah. You've had a chance to experience a lot of that. Congratulations. And it sounds too, it sounds also like you're getting close to an income statement that actually has a positive number on the bottom line pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, you know, believe it or not, we were actually profitable last year. We won't be this oh, cool. year just because we're investing okay. in the business a lot. We'll, we'll lose right. money again this year, but that's the nature of, of venture. And we yeah, want to really invest yeah. in, in growth. Yeah. Um, and scaling the business. We have a lot of amazing products coming to market. Um, And uh, it's, it's super exciting. I I think, you know, 
it, it all gets down to, um, you know, focusing on the mission and the core principles, sort of the fundamentals of this thing have been so interesting to me. And I think this is a great lesson in timing. You know, if you look at, you know, success of startups, it's all about timing. And timing is almost half of why you succeed in startups. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we had this, you know, I think I could argue pretty clearly, we were probably a year, two years, maybe even three years early. And we had okay. to kind of suffer through building a lot of fundamental technology. But, you know, we were, we were there when the opportunity really presented itself and this, and these technologies started to the capabilities to do real-time transactions for cost transparency and the EHRs opening up their doors to, to let us be in the workflows with providers all started to come together now, now three years ago, four years ago. Um, and so, you know, we were just early and, yeah. you know, this, that taught me a lot about, you know, if the, if you want to get two things right, get your timing right and get your team right. And literally, if you get those two things right, everything else will take care of itself. Some people argue you can actually have a pretty bad team, but if your timing's right, you're still going to win. I've read um, that. Yeah, I've read that. Yeah, several times. Yeah, so, so it's pretty interesting, you know, to kind of see this in, re in a real world. You know, you read it in books about how important these things are, but I've really had to experience it over the eight years and just see how much things have changed, um, uh, you know, from where we were and we were really early to now being on time and, and scaling, uh, you know, our, our company as we have. Let me take you back because we're almost out of time now. I want to go to some wrap up questions. Let me take you back for a minute in time. <clears throat> so you moved to Denver, didn't have a job, going through some kind of, I wouldn't call it a midlife crisis because you were still a young guy, but you were kind of going through some stuff and you were getting divorced and you had two small kids. There had to be some moments early on when you started RX Review, especially those early days when cash flow was super tight. There had to be some pretty dark evenings where you're like, okay, I'm a single dad. I don't know how I gotta, I gotta make these child support payments. I don't really have any income yet. I'm trying to do this startup with my friends, but we don't have much cash. I don't know if this is gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> there had to be a few nights in there, yeah. Carm, where you're like, oh, shit, I don't know, right? Yeah, I mean, I look back at, at you know, the arc of this story, right, and, and what I've been through. And, you know, I guess what I would say is it's not uncommon. I think so many startups go through and, and founders go through this. Um, you know, I'm connected mm -hmm. to a lot of early, early stage CEOs. And we all have this kind of thing, um, right. you know, right. where... Um, you know, I would say the mission and the, the belief, right, that I was right in that, you know, someday we kind of talk about this someday all doctors should be able to price and any service in real time at the point of care at the point of decision making that is going to happen right now, I could argue I was off on timing right but but the thesis is is right and and you know, there's something really special in life when you get to sort of look back and say, you know, we touched over 5 million patients last year. Sweet. I know I can say to myself, I have made a difference in people's lives. Nice. nice. And, and, you know, I think those are the moments when you have that really hard day and it's super dark, you know, you go back to those fundamental things and belief that you're doing the right thing. And you're, you know, I go to what's, what's your billboard for your life, right? you know, and what are you going to put on it? And, and I think a lot about how have, you know, mine is sort of, how have I affected the lives of others for the better? And, and that's what I want my life to be measured by. 
And, and when you're in those dark moments, those are the things that keep you going and keep you believing right. that, that you're right. And that, you know, you are um, on the right mission and you have the right calling. And um, I have so much sympathy for, for startup CEOs and founders that want to go out and do big things and change the world. Um, but I also, I also know there's like no better way to go, you know, the thought of, you know, sitting in a cubicle and just doing a career thing, you know, just doesn't make sense to me. And so that's what I want to be measured on. That's what matters to me. And yeah, I've had to go through some really hard stuff, but everybody has to go through hard stuff. I had to do it really early in my life. Um, sadly, and, and, you know, had some midlife stuff that was hard, been hard too, but, um, you know, the satisfaction and the, the, um, just the pleasure of being able to do this work is incredibly humble. And I'm incredibly grateful every day. You can tell you're super humble right now uh, with all the stuff you've gone through. You know, you got some scars on your back a little bit. And you've gone <laughs> through some things. And so you're humble for it. I can also tell, quite frankly, that you've been hanging around a bunch of super smart board members and equity holders that have given you a bunch of advice just by the way you speak. I can tell. Um, and so there, I, you're obviously getting a, you're being influenced and coached and mentored by a lot of smart people, which is wonderful to have in your life. Um, new girlfriend now? Anything new? No, <laughs> nothing. No, I focus on this startup and my two boys, okay. and, and that's All the right. most that's the most important thing right now. And and I wouldn't say you know getting out in the middle of the pandemic is not right. not, not the appropriate thing oh, to do, for, uh, especially to being that. a healthcare guy. Yeah, yeah, we forgot to mention that being single, being a single dad during COVID when you can't meet anybody new that sucks too. You but you got through it, my friend. Well, last last question I wanted to ask you. Um, if you could call yourself coming out of college at 21 years old, knowing what you know now, because you've been through some stuff, what would you tell Carm if you could call him and go back in time? Oh, I think there's probably two, two major things is that, okay. um, you know, first and mo- first and foremost, enjoy the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, stop, stop trying to measure success by how much money you have in the bank. Um, and just enjoy the journey of life and be present, uh, in the moment. And, you know, I look back at how much, uh, how much time I thought thinking about the future opposed to being kind of rooted in how, how really wonderful my, my twenties were (laughs) and, and, and those early years. And I think the second thing is like, um, you know, find your mission in life, find your calling. Um, you know, I talked about that at the beginning is, it's so important for all of us. I mean, I think the pandemic has taught us so much in the last year and um, about life, about where we're making our choices and where we're spending our time. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a 20 year old version of myself is sort of saying like, Hey, take a hot minute here and think about what that mission is. What's that calling for you in your life? Um, that's going to drive you and get you up every day. And I've been really lucky in that I found that. You know, I've Good. found that that piece that really drives me. But but I think for everybody, it's, you know, I hope a lot of us are reassessing. You know, I was really happy to hear the other day that med school applications are way up. You know, it's woken up all these people to get into medicine and and help people. And it's a wonderful calling. I mean, to, to, to serve right. others, serve patients and help help people get healthier is a 
you know, it's pretty fundamental. It's pretty great career choice, in my opinion, even with all the challenges that we have today in the U.S. healthcare system. And so, you know, that's that's what I think people need to to focus on and re reevaluate. Um, I hear and, those. And, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'll say one last thing that that you know, I love this this quote I picked up last year that that life is people. You know, ooh, it's ooh, it's. I like that one you know, that's what life is, you know, um, a great, a, a great life equals great relationships. And, and that, that is such a fundamental truth and something that I've kind of learned in the last year. Um, and so I've invested a lot more time in relationships, in the people in my life. And we Good. can't forget that. Good for you, my friend. Congratulations on everything you've done over at RX Review. Congrats to you and the team. Really Thanks. appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast, my friend. Great to meet you. Yeah, you as well. Well, thanks for having me. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.